Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. You can be seated, and as you are, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 6. We're going to be spending our time today. And while you're finding that, I'll tell you that I'm reading, and up on the screen is the New King James Version. I trust that you can follow along in the version of God's Word that He has given to you. We hear here, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as we look at these words today, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. We do come before you, Lord, in obedience to your word. We come before you, Lord, making our requests to you. We ask for our pastor, Lord, that you would bless him and encourage him. As he leads this church, Lord, that you would guide him in the path he needs to go. Be with him uh, physically, financially. Be with his family, Lord. Watch over them. That he might be free to do the work that you've called him to do. 
Father, I pray for our church and the ministry that we've been given to this town of Woodbridge. I pray that we would be bold. I pray that we would be open to the message you provide us. I pray that we would be willing to step forward and do what you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, that it would be effective, not for our glory, but for yours, that we might bring souls to the kingdom and that we might see your work on display in the world. Father, today I pray for myself that you would take the words that I say and only let them be pleasing to you. Hide me behind the cross and help me to present to those who are listening the message you want them to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul begins this letter to the Romans by telling them how much God hates sin. He tells them that God's wrath is being revealed against every form of unrighteousness and sin. And he also tells us that every one of us, each human, from Adam right on down, we're all sinners. Every one of us, an enemy of God. And very rightly, we're condemned by our sin to eternal separation from this holy God for all time. Welcome to service today. I don't mean to be a bummer to you, but you know, whenever we share the good news of Jesus, we have to start with the bad news first. We have to tell you what the problem is before we can bring to you the prescription. And the problem is we're sinners. We sometimes don't take that seriously enough. We think we're sinners and we're okay with that. Did you know that God is not okay with that? He hates sin. All sin is an abomination to him. And if we can understand how desperately he hates sin, we can understand why he separates himself from us. See, I've heard people tell me when I'm talking to them, you know, about God's work, that they can't understand how a good God could send people to hell. Well, if you truly understand what it means to be a good God, I couldn't understand how he couldn't. When he looks at us, when he sees our sin, it is automatically a separation from God. We've earned it. There's every right for it. Adam, I'm not every one of us. Now, I know I'm a sinner. And it's easy to tell. But my wife, now she's a sweet girl. And it's hard to believe sometimes that she's a sinner because she's so sweet and she's so kind and she's so mean. In fact, we took a uh, look at little Joshua. And we think, little Joshua, how, what a blessing this is. But you know he's a sinner too. Every one of us. There's nothing in us that's good enough to earn God's favor. And nothing we can do can ever earn us God's favor. But Paul goes on and he says, even though we're sinners and we're completely separated from this holy God, God loved us so much that he sent his own son. That those who would trust in him wouldn't perish, but would receive eternal life. He tells us that Jesus, being God the Son, gave up all that that meant, came down to this earth, and in a sense showed us how to live right. He lived a perfect life. And because of that, never had to die. But he did more. He took upon himself our sin. Every failure you've had was placed upon Jesus. And he paid the price for that sin when he died. He rose again to show that God accepted the sacrifice. And he passes on to us that beautiful righteousness that was his. And so in chapter 5 of Romans... Paul gets to this point where he says, wherever sin was in the world, as much as sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
Wherever you found sin, you found grace that was more than enough to conquer it. You can't out-sin God's grace. Your sin might be large, your sin might be great, but it's never greater than the free gift of God's forgiveness. Now that's great news. That, that's the good news that the bad news takes us to. But Paul knows our hearts and he knows our minds really well. So he starts chapter 6 by saying, wait a second. I want you to look at this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we go on sinning? Shall we continue? Every time we sin, God's grace gets to be even greater. So let's keep on sinning so that God's grace is that much more. Now, in a sense, that seems a little ridiculous. But you know, many of us think that way. Many of us think that way because it's the natural way for a man to think. Suppose you said to me, hey, Dave, after the service today, I'd like to take you out to dinner. Anything you want, it's on me. Do you know where my mind goes first? <laughs> my mind goes somewhere nice. Let, let, let's go somewhere great. Let's get a steak. Maybe we'll throw that lobster tail on the side. In fact, I think a big dessert is in order. Now, why do we do that? We do that because we figure if there's no price to pay, man, I'm going to do it all. And you see... Paul is talking to believers, and he says, be careful, because when you realize that no matter how big your sin is, grace is even bigger, you can fall into saying, well, let me keep sinning so that God can keep pouring his grace on me. He says, don't do that. Don't you realize that the one who is dead to sin will not live any longer in sin? And then he goes to an example that we all need to be familiar with. It says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even also we should walk in newness of life. Now he goes to this point of baptism because it's something that every believer should have as the first step in their obedience to God. Paul does not understand a person who would claim to be a believer but hasn't been baptized. The Bible presents baptism as the natural, logical first step. As the uh, um, as, as Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch are walking on the road and they're talking about the scriptures, he comes to believe and he says to Philip, What's, look, look, here's water, what's to prevent you from being baptized? When the jailer, the Philippian jailer, uh, he's, he's talking to Paul and Silas after all the hullabaloo in the, uh, in, in the prison. He, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and he's baptized. It's the natural first step for a believer. Now, baptism doesn't save you. I want to make sure we understand that. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. They're washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And not, not being baptized doesn't preclude you from all the blessings of salvation. But not being baptized makes me wonder why? You see, that that baptism, though it doesn't save you, though it's not an impartation of grace to you, it is the natural, logical step that you're going to take. It is publicly identifying with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So I have the, the blessing many times to talk to me and say, I want to be baptized. And you know, the first thing I would do is I would sit with them and I'd talk to them a little bit. 
And the reason I did that, not, not because I wanted to find out more about their family or you know what they did for a living. I wanted to find out their salvation experience. I wanted to know what they were being baptized for. Why they were being baptized. And if they said, Mom and Dad said I have to, forget it. <laughs> They're not ready yet. You want that baptism to be a personal experience that you remember. And so I would I'd speak to them a little bit, and I'd, I'd understand that they have been saved. And then I'd say, now, you're going to come into the baptismal with me, and you're going to give your testimony. Why? So that they can make that public profession of their faith. And then I'd put them down under the water, buried with Christ. And I wouldn't leave them there. You bring them back out, you're raised to walk in newness of life. And, and the whole church would celebrate because this is a wonderful, joyous experience. And Paul says, I want you to think back to that baptism, and I want you to realize what was happening. He says to them, and this is pretty straightforward, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting that you're getting this, but let's look at it, let's let it flow over us. He says to them, as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Paul has said, we're dead to sin. That death came when we were baptized with Christ. When our sins were covered by the blood of Christ, we, our normal, natural person, died. Now, it'd be great if that's all there is to it. <laughs> but you see, we died, but our old man is still in there. <laughs> that's why we have these natural reactions. That's why we say things like, oh, if God's grace is going to cover it, then I'm going to sin. No, to have a body of sin, we don't understand that we, in fact, have died to that. How can we live any longer in that way? If we're dead in Christ, if our baptism in Christ is the death of our new self, our old self, then the being raised from the dead is the new self. We walk in Christ. We walk in the newness of life. And why would you drag yourself back under that old death? Why give up to something that you're dead to? You know, when you're dead, that's it, in a sense. If, uh, if you saw somebody robbing the bank over here, and we called the police, 911, what's your emergency? Well, I got a couple of guys with guns robbing the bank. And they sent out a couple of cop uh, squad cars, and those uh, robbers saw the squad cars, and they took, uh, took, tried to catch down and pulled their guns and aimed at those police. You know what's going to happen? Those police are going to shoot them. And they're going to hit them, and they're going to kill them. And then the next thing that's going to happen is that officer's going to go over and say, you have the right to remain silent. Everything you say, can and will be held against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. He's going to put the cuffs on him and drag him into the cop car, isn't he? And then they're going to take him up to the judge, and the judge is going to say, how do you plead? Is any of that going to happen? No, they're dead. It's all over. Once they're dead, it's all over. Once you're dead to sin... You shouldn't have a lifestyle of sin. You can't continue in sin. It shouldn't be the natural person that you are. Now, in chapter 7, Paul's going to get to the fact that we're still fighting this battle. We've got this now and not yet going on that still keeps us fighting. And in chapter 8, he gives us the answer. We're not going to get there today. We don't have the time. But I want you to understand, the first thing you need to understand is you're dead to that. And you shouldn't be living in it any longer. If we have been united together... In the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Identifying with Christ, seeing ourselves dead, our sin covered in Christ's death, we go under the water as Christ descended into the grave. What a beautiful, what an imaginative, what a powerful picture that should stay with you all your lives. And if we're dead with Christ, there's even more to it. The help we have is that we believe we shall also live with him. Christ didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's coming back to get us. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. And because of that, we will live as well. Death no longer has any dominion over him. Now, wait a second. You say, wait a second. Death never never had any dominion over Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He took your sin upon himself. And he was treated as a sinner till he died. At that point, death had no more hold on The price was paid and it was done. Now you see the unbelievers, in a sense that's true too. Because when they die, they're done. There's no more price to pay, but the price they're paying is a pretty significant one. Eternal separation from time, for all time from God. There's no extra chance after death. Once you die, it's over. As believers, we have the blessing of knowing our sin already dead. Past, present, and future. But to the poor unbeliever, they have no hope. They have no hope now and they have no hope for eternity. So they need to hear that their pride, the sin, can be paid for. Death no longer has dominion over us. If we are believers today, if we're sitting here and believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, Death has no more dominion over you. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul tells us in other places, Adam all die, even so in Christ, and all be made alive. The one sin of Adam was enough for everybody, even if we didn't make our own. But the one gift of God was eternal life, sufficient for all. Amen. And so he says, if this is the case, you also, you as a believer today, you sitting there having the blood of Christ, washing away all your sins, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, think about yourselves this way. Indeed, think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. Alive in God Identify with his life, the new nature, not the old one, Christ's nature living in us. Now, if you can wrap your mind around that, if you've got the theology of it, which is a great thing, go on. Because he says, therefore, because of these things, because this is the case, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not allow sin to take control. Our natural man is still there. And when we have the opportunity to sin, it says do it. It says reach out and take what's not yours. It says go ahead and hate that person for what they did to you. Our natural man naturally tries to respond this way. 
But he says, do not let it happen. Children, God will love them. They're so much fun, but they have no self-control, do they? Whatever comes into their minds, that's what they do. I learned real quick, you've got to be careful as you train children up. You tell them not to touch the stove. You know what they're going to do? They're going to touch the stove. You put that thought in their mind. You know, and, and you say, I remember that so clearly. Rachel, don't touch that. If you touch that, you're going to burn your hand. So what does she do? Puts her hand behind her. She walks up slowly. No, 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 she's noticing. She touches the stove. And we saw her voice, her face go from this, I'm getting away with this, to a, it hurts! Children have no self-control. But we as adults are expected to. Unbelievers have no self-control when it comes to sin. But we are expected to. We are expected to be able to do this. To not obey. You should do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you would obey in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Present yourself to God, and present all that you are to God. Why? Is this how I gain God's favor? No! No! Remember, while we're enemies, while we're sinners, Christ died for us. This isn't how we earn God's favor. Instead, this is how we show God how much it means all that he has done for us. Because of Christ, we choose not to sin. Because of Christ, we do not want to obey those lusts that come our way. Because of Christ, we want to use our members to God's glory. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law. You're under grace. Oh, we could spend a whole lot of time right here. You see, the law, and, and, and Paul has covered this pretty well in the earlier portions of, of uh, the book of Romans, and he does so all through his writing. The law is God's law coming down to us, teaching us how to live. And the law is very powerful, and the law is very right. And the law is very good. The only thing that we can say, and, and we don't want to say anything against the law. We do not want to say the law is bad. We do not want to say the law is weak, even in that sense. We want to say the law is there for us. But understand this, the law is there for one reason. It's there to show you what a holy God expects. It's there to condemn you. And the law will always condemn you. God's good and gracious law tells you you're a sinner and deserving of God's punishment. That's why Paul says, we are not under the law. And he'll, he'll go on in other books to, to tell believers, don't put yourself back under the law. Don't make those false divisions in your head where you're saved by grace, but now you've got to live it out under the law. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't put yourself back under the law. Put yourself under God's grace. Understand that God gives you this when you don't deserve it. 
so that you're not trying to always earn your salvation. However, <laughs> however, having said that, Paul says, because he knows our minds, and he knows once he frees us from all the responsibility of holding on to the law, once he says God's grace, you're living under grace, God's forgiveness covers every horrible sin you can think of, <laughs> he says, wait a second, shall we sin then? Because we're not under the law, but because we're under grace? Are you telling me, Dave, that when I sin now and I, and I make this mistake, God's already known about it, God's already covered it, so it's fine? Well, God knows about it. God's already covered it through the blood of Jesus Christ. But he says, no, it's not fine. If verse 1, when he says, should we continue in sin, is a lifestyle of sin, a pattern of sin, a, 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 a pattern that you've gotten into and that you continue with, then in verse 15, what he's saying is, every sin, every individual sin, yeah, I know, I'm not supposed to be in a pattern of sin. I know I'm not supposed to swear. They get me so angry. <laughs> you know, in, in a normal situation, in a regular uh, discussion, I wouldn't sin. I wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. But they take me off. Shall we sin? Because we're not under law, and God's grace will cover it. He says, absolutely not. Not only are we not allowed to have a lifestyle of sin, but we're not even supposed to have that individual sin. Well, surely God will forgive me in this one case. I, I've been a pretty good person. I've done pretty well. I deserve this. <laughs> Do you know what I'm speaking about? These are the natural, again, the natural feelings that we have, even as believers. You know, I'm a diabetic. <laughs> and as a diabetic, I am not supposed to eat chocolate. Right? So, how much chocolate can I have? None. Is there any wiggle room there? No. Do I eat chocolate? Why? I know I shouldn't. I know I'm supposed to eat a balanced, careful meal. I know I'm supposed to exercise. Look at me. Do I eat a balanced meal and do I exercise? <laughs> I have trouble living on what I know to be true. In our Christian walk, there's a lot of us who have trouble living out what we know to be true. We perhaps have part of us under control. You know, I don't have chocolate with every meal. <laughs> I don't have chocolate every time I go out somewhere. It's only those special occasions. And maybe that's what sin is like in your life. You don't, do, you don't sin all the time. But there's certain things. you got your pet sins that you come back to every once in a while. Or you got this sin that you just seem to have trouble with. And it sneaks up on you and grabs you. But Paul is saying, shall we sin? And we know that if we sin, God's grace is going to forgive it. But should we sin just because it's forgiven under grace? He says, absolutely not. Don't you know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves who you obey. Whether of sin, 
leading to death, or of obedience, leading to righteousness. But God, be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Our actions display our thoughts. We act, we react by the nature that is in us. Sometimes that's the old nature that leads us to death. And sometimes it's the new nature which we receive from Christ. Now hopefully you've gotten to the point in your Christian walk or when those situations come your way, you can take a moment and think about it. And you can say, I understand this is what I want to do. I want to I just drove right in front of me. I want to drive up to him, and I want to bash into his car. I want to write his license plate down. I want to write to the DMV and tell them they've got a maniac on the road. When given a moment to think about it, that man was as much a member of God's family as I. One of the worst things I could do is pull him over and give him a piece of my mind. Can you imagine how that would go? You were driving like an idiot. You cut me off. I'm so upset. You, by the way, did you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for his life? I don't think that's going to work. We lose the opportunity to be God's vessel when we give in to our own selfish desires. And when we have that minute to think about it, we have to train ourselves to understand, am I acting in this way because of sin, which leads to death, or am I doing what I'm doing now because of God's righteousness, which leads to life? At one time, you couldn't help but make the wrong choice. But now, through Christ, we obey from the heart that doctrine which he gives us we were delivered from this sin. Your believers, your Christians, act like that. The story comes down from a long time ago when the great King Alexander was making his uh, major wars. And uh, there was one day a man brought into Alexander's tent. And the captains said, Alexander, we had a problem with this guy. We went into battle. We found him afraid, cowering. The rest of us were running up to do our portion, and he was kind of hanging back. And, and we had our swords out and bloody, and he was sitting there still fiddling with his shoelaces. Alexander, ah, I guess I can understand that. It happens at times. People get worried, get upset. And he says, saying, what's your name? And the man looks up at the king and says, Alexander, sir. All of a sudden, the king's face changes. His eyes get red. There's a snarl in his voice. He says, young man, change your actions or change your name. If we're going to be known as Christians, we need to be careful that our actions agree with who we call ourselves. It's natural. It's natural when things don't go our way. To feel like we've got to make it right. To feel like we've got to win. But God asks us to do something unnatural. Beyond that. 
having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, I think Americans have a little problem with this. I think Americans hear this and their thoughts are a little bit different from what Paul's thoughts are here. You see, Paul is saying, you were once a slave of sin. Now you've been set free from sin and you're the slave of righteousness. And we kind of stop listening at the word set free. Because when we hear set free, we think set free of everything. We think as Americans, we have this absolute freedom. I have the freedom to say what I want. I have the freedom to go where I want. I have the freedom to do what I want. I have the freedom to believe what I want, to think what I want. My rights are the most important thing to me. When Paul says we're free, he says we're free from sin. He says no longer is sin your master. You're serving a new master. You're serving a master in heaven. You're serving God. You're serving righteousness. And you are a slave to righteousness. And I'm afraid in America, especially today, we don't want to be slaves to anybody. No one's going to tell me how I can act. No one's telling me what I can do. Friends, that's antithetical to God's will. And in all honesty, it's the epitome of selfishness. And selfishness is always going to get in the way of being surrendered to God's will. Selfishness is back under a slave to your own sin. You become a slave to your own desires. In trying to set yourself free, you become a slave to the thing you never wanted to be a slave to again. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. I understand that. I'm coming on 60 years here. And I was saved as a young child. I've walked a long, long time down this road. And I'm no better than anyone out there. I still deal with this. When he talks about the weaknesses of my flesh, I understand those weaknesses all too well. Anytime you might be feeling that I'm pointing the finger at you, there are three more fingers pointing back at me. And these things that I'm saying, don't believe that I've got it all figured out. Don't believe that I've got it all straightened out. I need to be here as much as you today because I need to hear this. I need to understand that I am weak in my flesh. But he says, just as you used to present your members as slaves to uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves of righteousness to holiness. Many years ago, I used to teach music. And there's an instrument that can be a little challenging to learn, especially at the beginning. The clarinet is a beautiful, wonderful instrument. But as you play up the scale, when you move from the note C to D, you go from all the fingers open to all the fingers down. It's called the break on the instrument for a very good reason. It's where the sound tends to break up. And the first time, or two times, or three times you go through it, you're going to squeak. 
In fact, we don't even worry about it when we're teaching them just the mechanics of playing the instrument. We say, go ahead, just play it. And you, you hold your ears inside and you let them play. But as soon as possible, you want to train this young clarinet player to play across the break. You've got to teach them to go from C to D without squeaking. And one of the most valuable things that we have to get from C to D without squeaking, and this is going to be hard, so I want you to follow me, this is deep, is to do it right. Is to play from C to D without squeaking. <laughs> now you, you think, wait a second, that, that, that sounds simplistic. But let me tell you, what you practice is what you perform. If you play from C to D and squeak 10 times out of 20, then half the times in your performance, you're going to do it too. If you squeak once out of 50 times, then you have a chance to squeak once out of 50 times. How many times do you think a professional musician practices that clarinet break? All the time. Because the more you practice it the right way, the better you are at doing it. Well, it's true in music, but it's also true in our Christian life. The more you practice righteousness in your life, the more you practice giving up your selfish desires and living under God's desires, every time you do it right, you practice doing it right again. When I had a student who would be practicing and they'd be getting it wrong over and over, and I said, stop, stop quickly, stop quickly and, and fix that. Because you don't want to practice the mistake. In fact, it got so bad, some started players and said, I think you better take up saxophone. Because <laughs> it didn't happen on the saxophone. <laughs> but we don't have that option as Christians. Don't give up on this. Don't do it. Don't do it once. Don't do it 20 times. Every time you do it, you're practicing to fail again. And no, your salvation isn't in state. No, it's not going to cost you for eternity. But yes, your lifestyle pattern is going to be set. And those habits, once set, are very hard to break. Those habits, once set, take more and more effort, more and more time to get right. Let me encourage you today, do it right. Do, uh, just as you used to present your members as slaves to uncleanness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Before the mouth says something, sort it through the brain and say, is this what God wants me to say? Before your hands write something, sort it through God's word and see, is this what God wants me to write down? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Now we could get into some real theological uh, arguments here about the uh, eternal security of our salvation. That's not what Paul's doing. He's simply saying, you know that sin leads to death. 
what value is it to you as a believer to lock yourselves up with that? The end of those things is death. But now having been freed, set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit of holiness into the end, everlasting life. See, there's a question a lot of us ask. And it's a wrong question. Some may have heard their kids ask it this morning. Dad, do we have to go to church? <laughs> or maybe it comes up at the meal times. Hey, do we have to pray? I'm hungry. Can we just get into this? Maybe you ask yourself, do I have to read my Bible? I'm going to church today. Do I have to have my devotional time? Or we might ask, do I really have to give? Church seems to be surviving, by the way. It's a challenge during this time. And we need those funds that you provide to us. Your support is greatly needed and greatly appreciated. But there's people out there asking, do we need to give? In light of what we've read today, you might ask the question, do we have to give up sin? And my statement to you is the question is wrong. Because in all those questions, what's happening is we're dealing with the fact that we love sin. That we like it, that we want it in our lives. And we're saying, is it really something we have to give up? Boy, you don't have to tell somebody this for something they don't like. You remember a president recently who used to hate broccoli? He, he just didn't think broccoli was any good. He never asked the question, do I have to give up broccoli? <laughs> we're not asked to give up the things that mean nothing to us we're asked to give up something we enjoy because the hard truth of the matter is we like our sin we've talked about how bad sin is we've talked about how uh, un unholy and, uh, and horrible it is in God's sight but we like our sin we love to take it out and play with it. When nobody's watching, when we think we can get away with it, we take it out and it's ours. Then we feel bad and we put it back and we say, no, we're not ever going to do that again. And we don't turn around and do it the next time we feel like it. It's because we're asking ourselves, do we really have to give this up? Well, throw that question out. Because what should go through your mind is not the question, do we have to do these things? What should go through your mind is the wonderful statement, we get to do these things. We get to go to church today. We get to pray and thank God for the food that he has provided. We get to give him a portion of what he's provided to us. We get to read his word. We get to study. We get to give up sin. Wait a second. We get to give up sin. When an unbeliever comes into a temptation situation, he has no choice. He may choose one thing, and he sins. But if he chooses the exact opposite, he sins also. Remember? We can't be good enough on our own. Whatever he chooses, he's a sinner. He doesn't have the option. But we do. When that guy cuts us off on the road, 
We can hide it and give him the finger where he can't see it. We can get angry and say some nasty things. We can think about what would happen if a police officer caught it. Or we can give it up. We can think about him and say, I wonder why he's doing that. Maybe he's taking his wife to the hospital. I don't know that for sure. But if he is, I sure want to feel sorry about my bad feelings a minute ago. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just a nasty driver. We can pray for him. You see, we do not have to give in to our sin. You see a $20 bill just sitting there on the table. Nobody's looking at it. Do you take it or not? Well, somebody lost it, they're not care, they don't care about it. What does it matter if I take it? We don't ask that question. We look at it and we say, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to worry about this. If anything, you take that bill, turn it into the proper authorities, say, this is where I found it, help it get home. And leave it, because we never have to give in to our sin. Now, when we're talking about this situation, something always comes up. Something always comes up and we have to say something. Are you ever going to be perfect? Are you ever going to get to the place where you're just not sitting anymore? Are you going to get to sinless perfection? Are you going to be able to see, ha, I've got it covered. I've taken care of it. There's no more sin in me. Let me tell you, no, you're not going to. Not until we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, that old nature will be fully removed. And we will never have to worry about sin again. But while we're here on this earth, while we live in this place, we will constantly fight this battle. That's okay. But again, as Christians, we put an extra step in there. We say, well, if I'm always going to fight this battle, well, if sin is always going to be a problem, then when I fail once in a while, that's okay too. Hopefully, I won't sin a lot. Hopefully, I won't give in to the really bad sins. But I know I'm not going to be perfect, so I'm given a pass. I'm giving myself, don't do that. Because every time you're faced with a sin, every opportunity you have to sin, God has given you what you need not to sin. We may not be perfect until we get to heaven. We may never make it. But in every sin, we've been given what we have not to sin this time. Not to sin today. Not to sin in this situation. And I'll tell you, friends, that's hard. Because that situation comes up every time. I told you about chocolate, right? Do I have to beat that temptation once a day? There's three meals. Do I have to beat it three times a day? It happens all the time. If there's chocolate in the house, every moment it's there, it's a temptation. And I may win that temptation nine times, and then it jumps right back at me, and it's there again. That's how sin is. That's how it is. You overcome it with the power of God. But then your mind comes back and says, but you can do that. But I'm not going to, but you could. But I've given this up. It's still there. You present your bodies a living 
sacrifice. <laughs> you might like that verse, but to me, it kind of ticks me off sometimes. I'd love to bring a dead sacrifice and lay it before God, walk away, and never have to worry about it again. It's just there. It's given to him. But you know the problem with that living sacrifice? It keeps getting up off the altar. He's wanting to do his own thing. And when I present that living sacrifice, it's a continuous presentation. It's a lifestyle of presentation. I have to surrender it again and again and again and again. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. We cannot outdo our responsibility of this. We cannot become so good at this we take it for granted. We must constantly live this way. The wages of sin is death. Gift of God's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's three types of people I'm here listening to me today. I know most of you who are sitting out here. I thank God for you. I have no idea who's out there. And this is the first time I've ever preached to someone I've never seen. So it's a weird feeling. <laughs> but I have to tell you, whoever you are, whoever you are listening to this, you're going to fit in one of three categories. First category is those who don't know the Lord as their personal Savior. Who have not received God's free gift of salvation. I have a message for you today. You cannot stand before a holy God on your own. You cannot clean yourself up enough to be pleasing in His presence. Your sin separates you from God for all eternity. And no matter how good you are, you can never make it clean. But I want you to also understand that Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven, gave up all the glory that was His, to came down here to live as a man. Not in a kind of a shape, not putting on a man's suit, but becoming a man Himself. He lived that perfect life, took your sin, on himself. And he died to give you his righteousness. And if you will reach out to him, and if you will say these simple words, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you hate sin. I believe that you died for me. And I want you to change me. I want to receive what David's talking about now. Then God will save you. If that prayer means something to you and you're here today, I want you to walk up and talk to us a little bit about that. I want to make sure you understand what it means. If you're out there and you're listening, then you need to find yourself a good church like the Way City Church here. You need to find a place you can go and share with other believers and learn what it means to live this life. Talking to another group, this is a group that Paul wouldn't have really understood. They're believers. They're saved. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they haven't been baptized. I don't understand this. Unfortunately, I was there for many years. Because when I was a very young child, younger than I could understand, when I was just a little baby, my parents, who were in a good Presbyterian church, brought me up to the front of that church, and a priest sprinkled some water on me and gave me a piece of paper saying that I was baptized. Now, things changed over the years. I got to know more about God. I got to have a personal 
relationship with him. But I always look back and says, I guess I don't really have to get baptized. Because that happened to me that long when my parents took care of that way back when. I'm going to say, I know God, I'm going to heaven. And it'd be kind of embarrassing now, as an adult, to go up there and be baptized. And it, I fought it for a long, long time. Until I was memorizing this passage of scripture. And I couldn't get past this first verses. All, all of you who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You chose to go under the water and come back out. And I didn't have that. Now I was a pretty good person. I was a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> but I hadn't taken the step I was supposed to take. And I believe there could be some of you out there who, who know the Lord. Maybe you found him uh, in an unusual way. Maybe you found it in a different uh, pattern than I did. Like I did. And you've never been baptized. Let me tell you, we can help you with that. There's no greater joy. I know Marlon is just looking forward to the day. We have to bring in some sort of baptismal here. And we have our first believer confess his faith. Yeah. It's not going to save you. It's not going to change your relationship with God. But it will change you as you remember whose you are. And there's a third group I'm talking to today. Those who know the Lord as their personal Savior. Those who have been baptized. And you're struggling, the same as I am, with this human nature that just won't let you go. Paul has a message for you. He has a message, not of law, but of grace. Not of rules to follow, but God's blessing upon your life. And you receive this wonderful blessing, and he tells you now, live in it. Don't give up and go back to your sin. If you've got a, a, a pattern of sin, if you've got a lifestyle of sin in your life as believers, and we have to face it, Paul was writing to believers here, which makes me believe some of them did. A besetting sin that they couldn't control. That they didn't even try to control in some cases. If that's your case, God has an answer for you. And if you need some help with that, Pastor's here. I'm here. We're, we've got people around who are willing to come alongside you and help you walk this road with us. We won't judge you because we're failures too. But we'll help you go if you don't have that besetting sin, but if you're still stuck in that occasional sin, and now I know I'm including everybody, <laughs> because until we get to heaven, we're all going to find ourselves here sooner or later. Paul has a message for us too. And he tells us, stop sinning. Understand why you sin. Understand God's blessings to you. Understand whose you are, and live that out. I imagine if we'd asked Paul, Peter said, yeah, I'm still struggling with this too. Yeah, I still fight this battle. I say that because I've read Romans chapter 7. And I, I think he would tell you, yeah, I've got a way to take care of this. I say that because I've read chapter 8. <laughs> and you see, as we study, as we commend ourselves to God, as we learn to walk in the power he provides, we too can learn become slaves of righteousness. 
Our salvation isn't in doubt anymore. Our future is with heaven, in, in heaven with God forever. Yet we still need to learn to present ourselves as slaves of holiness. Father, I pray that you will take this word that you've given us today, just a few passages, a few little verses in a book which has so much great theology for us, so many great lessons that we need to learn. Take this short time that we've had here today and use it to your glory. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives the way we need to, that we might live in obedience to you. We thank you and praise you for this, for the grace that saves us and the strength that keeps us moving toward what you have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.